0: Welcome to The Pain of Scale, the Notion podcast exploring the most critical challenges for venture-backed tech entrepreneurs along the startup, grow-up, and scale-up journey. Every two weeks, we speak to founders, experts, and venture capitalists from around the world about their experiences. And hello, I'm Paul. I'm with Stephen, as always. We are running our Pain of Scale Season 4 episodes that were recorded before the crisis, but we thought they were still not only relevant, but fascinating to listen to. So we are releasing them in, in a fast pace, fast-click twice a week. And today, an episode that was recorded on December 12th with Yvonne. She's the Chief
1: People Officer of GoCardless. Yes. Uh, she's been with them just about a year. And prior to that, she was the Chief People Officer of booking.com. and prior to that she was thirteen years I think at Google so she knows a lot about managing organizations and managing people and distributed teams she 's also a um, has a bachelor 's in psychology from Stanford and a, and a master's oh. in clinical psychology from northwestern she 's a you know well informed
0: I love her i mean she's uh, i didn 't know her before I met her through you guys at your retreat. She's such a personality and she's so smart yeah. and she needs to be my boss one day. <laughs> <I>
1: mean, <laughs> Wouldn't you just love, it would, I, I would just love that. I mean, like, what's so fascinating about Yvonne? And I think interesting looking back on this interview was there were some key aspects of the things she talks about, to about these kind of intractable problems of scaling teams and organizations yeah. across multiple geographies that are mm-hmm. just as relevant, if not more so. Today, and how you do that and manage your people distributed and remote while maintaining productivity, but also the integrity of the culture. It was a great interview.
0: Anecdotally, I, I gave a lecture to Booking.com's executives. She already had left, and I was talking about discomfort and potential recessions. I hope they listen to me because now must <laughs> <laughs> be a tough time. Anyway, let's listen to Yvonne. Hello, we're back. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm very well, Paul. And yourself? Very well. And I'm very excited about the guest we're going to have today because I actually met her during your retreat. I was very fortunate. The retreat, which was not so long ago, by the time this is released, will have been a long time ago.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. October 2019. And it's interesting because one of the, the hottest topics that came up before that event and during it was the topic we're going to be talking about today, which is... Discussing probably the hardest personal challenge uh, that every tech company has to face, and that's how to dramatically increase headcount. Yeah, and you know when you have to put in contacts that for for many of the founders that we're investing in, they've never been on this journey before. So Mm -hmm. how do they maintain that kind of startup culture and grow really fast from a, a revenue perspective? Sure, but from a people perspective, without sacrificing productivity and that culture. And so when we surveyed our founders before the retreat, this was the topic that came up over and over again, which is, you know, how do I double my team? How do I scale globally? How do I manage and maintain my culture across international borders? And that was a topic of conversation across the two days. So I'm I'm delighted that today's guest is going to help us address these challenges. And as you said, she was one of the speakers at the retreat. And it's Yvonne Ajay, who's the Chief People Officer at GoCardless. Now, prior to GoCardless, which is a pretty fast-growing London-based tech company, one of our portfolio, obviously, she was the Chief People Officer at Booking.com. Prior to that, she was 12 years at Google, latterly as the VP of Global People Operations. And I, I said that kind of 12 years because it kind of puts into context the amount of people scale that Yvonne has seen so she's seen a huge amount of the challenges of growing an organization very quickly but also she's um, got a bachelor's in psychology from Stanford oh, and a wow. master's in clinical psychology from uh, Northwestern so she knows a thing or two about fast growth tech companies and she knows a thing or two about people so I yeah. think she should be a pretty good guide for us and I'm really looking forward to this so Yvonne, welcome. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Happy to
1: be here. So let's just jump straight into some of the questions that actually were raised at the retreat. I'm the founder of a fast growth business. I've just raised a a whole ton of money from a VC and I'm about to go through a growth journey. Let's say it's 50 to 100 or 100 to 200. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to do this in 12 months. What typically goes wrong?
2: (laughs) What I would say is with that type of fast growth, first I'll talk about what doesn't work well, and then I'll talk about what does work well. What doesn't work well is when you approach this like any other, right, sort of project, right? We're just going to grow. We're going to open up these positions. We're going to work with recruiters and agencies and just start bringing people in. And what I mean by that is by just focusing on growth and focusing on filling roles Without taking the time to really think about what type of people do you want to hire, what capabilities do you need, what skill sets, what attributes, right? You really need to, I think, do that homework before going into that period of high growth to really understand what type of people do you want? How long do you want them, you know, within the business, right? So sometimes you want someone, you know, you think two years is enough. Sometimes, you know, some businesses will take the approach, we want our people for life, right? And you might look for different skill sets or different attributes. You might look for different levels of experience. But the whole point is what goes wrong is when the thought and the care And the work doesn't go into first determining what type of people you need. And I don't mean just the different functional roles, but holistically, what characteristics you need that fit into your culture and the stage that the business is in. You end up hiring a lot of people that either are not going to fit your culture, not be able to stay with the company, or maybe they're not even in the right frame of mind and you'll get high attrition or you'll need to manage them out and that's just really costly and time-consuming. So typically goes wrong, hiring essentially without a plan.
1: (laughs) And if you get it right, is it possible to grow an organization in that kind of almost exponential fashion, but without sacrificing kind of culture and and productivity in particular?
2: Oh yeah, this is a really interesting one. Let's come back to culture, but in terms of productivity, I think to have that level of growth To be realistic, it will sacrifice productivity. But you almost need to build it into the plan, right? Meaning that if you are expecting to double in size, what that means, realistically, is you're going to be doing lots of interviewing, right? (laughs) Lots of scheduling, lots of feedback sessions, lots of decision-making, and um, that all takes time. And very often, the people who are probably the best gauge of the sort of candidate that you want are your best performers right your top performers within the business and so you need to build in that time where maybe it's now going to be 30% of their time or maybe 50% of their time is going to be spent on helping to hire people right but expecting to be able to do it sort of as a side job when you have that level of growth just is not realistic and then the other thing i would add to that and this starts getting more into your question around culture is um, you also have to onboard all of these people. And so if you don't do that with care, that's where you can go wrong. And I would say, by the way, that as you're hiring people, as you're interviewing, you should be interviewing for culture and values and the way the company works as well. Because if you bring in the people who are not aligned with your values, who don't fit into your culture, that is going to alter the culture maybe in a way that you don't want. So yes, it will impact productivity, but culture, I think you can be much more intentional about
1: that. Do you have any kind of rules of thumb in terms of how much productivity of hiring X number of people would impact the performance of senior staff? And then the kind of the the ramp up that it takes to get people the the new hires to...
2: Right, right. You know, when I was back at Google in um, the mid 2000s, right? So this was around 2005, 2006. And Google was on this incredible path and growth, particularly also globally, internationally. And we were at that time hiring a lot of software developers the one thing that was expected of every software developer was they would spend at least 25% of their time in recruitment activities. And so whether it was interviewing or um, I used to run graduate recruitment, and so we would go out to different universities. So if it was doing that, traveling and giving talks, right, and you almost have to log the time. But what worked really well about that was setting that expectation of, you know, as a corporate citizen, you're expected to participate in helping to grow the business and helping to bring in, you know, exceptional talent. Now, at the senior level, I think this can be done in different ways, right? In in some organizations, it's highly centralized, and perhaps even the CEO or founders would get involved in recruitment or maybe even in hiring every person that comes on board. That's a huge time commitment, depending on how many people you're bringing in. I think in the early stages, it's absolutely worthwhile to do that primarily because of the culture piece as well. It also sends a really good message to your candidates that are coming in. So if they're coming into an organization of 50 people and there's such competition for talent, to be able to meet directly with the CEO or with the founder says a lot, right? And so that can help sell the candidate or close the candidate. But thinking about you know what else is happening in the business and does that ultimately scale? So there are other ways to go about that. But yes, I do think that it's worthwhile to designate a few people who are going to be spending a significant amount of their time helping to bring talent in.
1: And I mentioned culture and you did too. And this does come up repeatedly maybe not an obvious question, but what is it? And um, because I, I get the sense, you know, if, if you ask multiple people for a definition of something that we all think is commonly understood, we actually all come up with quite different answers. Yeah. So, so why, what is it and why is it so important?
2: Yeah. And culture, I think, is one of those things that's really difficult to define, right? I think, to me, organizational culture is what set of, whether they're written or unwritten rules, ways of working, expectations of behavior, interactions, how you communicate, how you spend your time, even how you organize your physical space, right, that makes the company unique. And particularly in the early days, I think it, it's influenced a lot by the founders, Right, by their personalities and the way that they like to work and the type of people that they bring on board. And so, you know, culture always evolves and it's organic, but it's those set of things that you walk into an office, like when you come into the Go Cardless office, that you feel like, oh, okay, I understand what this company is about, right? I remember when I first came in to meet with some of the leaders in January 2019 um, at GoCardless, and I, I was just sitting for a while and just kind of observing people. And what was super interesting was I saw people working together in small groups. I saw people moving very quickly across. I saw people waiting in conference rooms. And just in that 10, 15 minutes while I was waiting for my interview to start, I got a pretty good sense of what the culture of the organization is about. So it's some of those intangibles that you sort of know when you see it and what distinguishes maybe one organization from another.
1: So you mentioned earlier on about hiring for culture.
2: Yes. How, how,
1: how do you help executives or, or, or any hiring manager to do that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think the, the first part of that is being really clear about what is it about your organization that makes people enjoy working there? Why are people there? What is it that they like, what brings them there, what motivates them, inspires them. So I think doing some work to find out what it is that people like, (laughs) because those are the elements in your culture and maybe not everything. Right. But those are the elements within your culture that you want to retain. Right. And as you grow and you want to make sure that you are able to nurture those aspects. And so that could be anything from, we like having a transparent organization, you know, transparent culture, where information is shared with everyone. That's something that could be very much a hallmark of an organizational culture. Or you could say something like, we like you know, people to work in teams. The important thing is to define what they are, right? Or at least get a sense of what are the top things. And when you know that, you can use that in your recruitment process. Because when you talk to candidates, you want to make sure that they like to work in that way, right? So if teamwork and collaboration is something that's really important to your culture, then don't bring in someone who wants to sit and work by themselves. They probably wouldn't enjoy it, and it probably wouldn't be a good fit. And so it's those types of things, right? And it could come down to even the way you like to work. Some organizations are extremely flexible in terms of where people uh, sit, so people can work remotely at any time, and they have you know virtual meetings, and maybe they get together every once in a while. And that works for some people. It doesn't for others. What's important is to understand what those are. And so what I tell leadership is let's sort of distill or figure out what those things are that we want to keep and that we want to make sure that as we grow, we're able to sustain that. And then when we bring in people, particularly at the senior level, right? So when you're bringing in your VPs or your executive team, you really want to make sure that they are aligned with your culture, values is another piece. Values can be a component of the culture, that you have that alignment. Because if you are misaligned, that's when you will see issues.
1: You mentioned something that, that also came up at the, the retreat, which was during the conversation that um, Gib Biddle led. It was really, really interesting because he talked at length about the next Netflix culture. And obviously their, their culture deck has been viewed. Yes. Uh, millions of times. But one thing he, he mentioned, which I, I hadn't really appreciated, was the frequency of the periodic update of that yeah. culture and the associated content, which was very deliberate. Yes. And you mentioned about how it changes as an organization grows. How do you kind of maintain that kind of core essence yeah. while adapting your culture to the stage of the company?
2: Right, right, exactly. And Stephen, it's exactly as you're saying, which is around the stage of the business, right? And when you're really small, and you can fit everyone together in one room, you almost don't need as many explicit kind of rules or guidelines, right? Because it's more clearly understood the way, you know, we human beings are very observant, right? We, we sort of walk in, you know, when you're new in a role, or at a company, you, you look at what other people around you are doing right you look at what they're wearing there's these subtle clues of how do i fit in and how do people work here and we're very very good at that as just human beings and so we we sort of emulate that and that happens when you have a a small number of people and you can all sort of interact freely once you start getting bigger though you do have to be much more deliberate about writing things down making sure things are documented, making sure people are inculcated into the culture or ways of working when they join. So as part of the onboarding process and what I really liked about what Gib talked about and the Netflix example is one, how transparent they've been, not just internally, but even externally about it. Very clear on this is acceptable behavior, this is not acceptable behavior. And it's evolved over time as their business has changed and they've recognized that, oh, well, this used to work really well for us, but now we need to do something different and being very explicit about that. Now, you know, I'm not necessarily saying we should all emulate Netflix culture, it works really well for them, right? But it almost doesn't matter what your culture is. I think the approach that they use is brilliant by always referring back to it. The other thing he said that I thought was fantastic that I hadn't heard of, but I think is so important, is how they would use these hypothetical discussions with the leadership team. In some cases, maybe it was actual situations, but they would discuss situations that had come up, hold it up against their sort of operating principles, if you will, and dis- discuss, well, what do we do in this situation? That's really practical way of making it come alive. Otherwise, it can be really abstract, right? So what happens when someone goes against the principles? What do we do? Do we give them a warning? Do they get fired? And that's also how you get that alignment, but having that discussion and getting agreement on, you know, th- this is where we are and this is what we've determined or decided that we're going to be doing.
1: Reprimand, fire, or do nothing.
2: That's right. That's and, right. Uh, exactly. It was
1: quite a challenging conversation, wasn't it? When yeah. a big people and uh, with those hypothetical examples, somebody has done this. Yes. And we think it might compromise our culture and values. Yes. What do you do? Reprimand, right. fire, do nothing. Exactly. Um, very powerful way of testing is the culture and, and, and kind of re- re-establishing whether actually how do you feel about it?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I think As, it's brilliant. <laughs>
1: now clearly as a company grows we're bumping up against you know some very very different cultural norms around the world i go into go cardless offices and it's a collision of cultures already <laughs> um, and then i'm opening up a us business i'm recruiting people out of silicon valley maybe yeah. i'm i'm recruiting people across europe maybe i'm recruiting people in australia perhaps further down the line i'm in asia there are some very different ways that people work. How do you maintain the kind of levels of employee engagement across global yeah, boundaries? Yeah. And then how do you align them around kind of core principles, values, and the overall strategy of the business?
2: Right, right. Now, Stephen, you're bringing up an excellent point, which is, you know, it, it's this idea of you have a company or a corporate culture, but it's, it's actually not monolithic right? And particularly as you grow and expand into different geographies, you've got a local culture as well that comes into play, local ways of working and how people communicate. And, you know, there's lots of research done on this. And so I think there's a few things. One is to accept that you will have a local impact or local flavor to the culture, and that's okay. I think you can't mandate that people, you know, kind of check their their local cultures at the door, right? But there's some ways in which you can sort of strengthen that sense of corporate culture. And I almost will equate that to a, a sense of belongingness, right? And so if we go back to what I said around testing for or assessing for alignment with your culture with your values at the beginning when you're interviewing candidates and you do this consistently what you'll find is that even though you have people who come from different countries or sitting in different geographies they have that in common right because you've deliberately you know chosen people who have that and then who are aligned with it in terms of engagement i think the other thing that that brings to mind is particularly as you start getting bigger and as you're across multiple sites, that becomes a time when you really have to be even more deliberate about the culture and nurturing kind of employee engagement. And so this could be things like creating budgets for team building setting aside some funding for people to visit other offices because you want that cross-pollination of ideas right you want people to be able to come to your headquarters and to go out and visit your distributed offices very often regional offices feel like second-class citizens and so having particularly the leadership come and visit and not just once but to make it sort of a regular stop really helps that engagement and that alignment back to headquarters. So I think what starts to happen when you start to see this kind of, I say fragmentation, but what I mean by that is when you've got offices in so many different geographies where people, you know, interact in such different ways, you have to pay even more attention to it and think about how do you bring people together? How do you maybe onboard everyone in one place? So they have that same experience that kind of connects people and creates that sense of belongingness to the organization.
1: That's absolutely true. And it touches on a really important part of of us as as people. We deeply care about the people we work with on a local basis that we, we, we kind of form very strong bonds with. So one thing I think could easily be overlooked in these high growth organizations is actually managing people. And as companies grow, in particular, they grow very fast and they grow internationally. How do you help your managers to manage people effectively, you know, in remote locations and across different cultures.
2: I'm so glad you've raised that. One of the things that the uh, people analytics team at Google found when researching high-performing teams and that whole sort of uh, what makes great managers, the Project Oxygen, was the impact that managers have on employee experience right? And you you hear that old adage, people don't leave companies, they leave managers. Well, they do both. <laughs> but, but I think the point there is that having a great manager will keep somebody at a company much, much longer. And as we've sort of been discussing, you know, about corporate culture, people, yes, there's the organizational culture, but people are really connected to the people they work with. And having a great manager who's able to build great teams, who's able to know their team members individually as people, understand what are their motivations. And I would say not just professionally, but, you know, in life, right? And um, to be able to then help guide them on that journey is just such a great experience for employees. I can say for myself, one of the reasons I stayed at Google for so long was my manager, Laszlo Bach, who was so supportive of me, gave me stretch assignments. In some cases he talked me into jobs that I would never have done on my own and thought I was gonna fail miserably at and just, you know, demonstrated a lot of faith in me personally just really felt like I had someone looking out for me, right? So if everybody could have this type of experience and build teams that are working well together and are motivated, you almost have sort of built-in retention right there. Now, when you're managing across cultures, you do have the challenge of, I would say the biggest challenge is really around communication. Not necessarily speaking the same language, but (laughs) communication and meaning that what I think I'm saying is what you're hearing. (laughs) right? (laughs) And depending on different cultures, it could be something completely different. Like, I think I'm saying one thing, you're nodding, yes, 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 but you're hearing something completely different. And so just having that awareness and being you know, sort of explicit about that and, you know, kind of repeating back. So what we agreed is this, and that's where you might uncover the, oh no, I heard something different, (laughs) right? And um, I can give you examples upon examples. One of my um, favorite is I used to have someone on my team who was based in Japan and we were doing graduate recruitment and he would always say to me, no, you can't do this. And I'm saying, yes, we will do this. This is the way we're going to do it. And he says, no, you can't. And I'm thinking, wow, why is he joining this team? Everything I say, he's saying no to, And then I went out to Japan, spent a week with him. We went out to the different schools. He completely hosted me, ran it, because I don't speak a word of Japanese. And what I realized is when he said, no, you can't, he wasn't telling me you're not able to. He was basically saying, this is not how it is done. And so in Japan, you have to take a completely different approach to reach the same objective. It's just we were, you know, speaking the same language. He was perfectly fluent in English but just hearing different things. So that's just one example. But yeah, I think understanding some of the local culture, you know, as a manager, also learning as much from your team members who are sitting in different regions, not assuming that just because you're more senior that you have the answers because you don't have the local context. And then the last thing I would say on this as well is I think particularly when you have managers of employees in remote locations, so you're not sitting with your people, you have to try even harder. Right, and it's small things like altering your meetings so that you have a time friendly time zone, or if you're cross rotating, so not the same person is up at three o'clock in the morning making the call, noticing things like that, right, going out and visiting taking extra care to learn about their family, right? Because when you're so far away, you have to work that much harder to make sure that you have that connection. But making that effort really pays off.
1: Making people feel like they're heard and they're, and they're valued and, exactly. and understood. Sometimes gets lost in the rush for, for growth. Exactly. Yvonne, it's been wonderful speaking to you. Really enjoyed it. I felt like I could have carried on for the rest of the evening.
2: As you can Enough see, I'm very people. passionate about these topics, so I could go on and on.
1: <laughs> thank you. I really appreciate your time.
2: That thank you, was Steven. brilliant. Thank, thank you, you so Paul. much. I Thanks really enjoyed you. it. Thank you for having me.
1: Remember, you can
0: find an in-depth write-up of this interview, along with the dozens and dozens we've done, on the Notion website at notion.vc, under Resources, if you like the show, please subscribe and rate us on Apple podcast or follow us on Spotify and Google podcast. Thank you.